0: Hey, welcome to the Kingdom Church Podcast. We're so glad you could join us. You're listening to a brand new message from Pastor Jeremy Wolfram. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, sit back, relax. Here it is. It's good to be with you. If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn to Genesis chapter 3. And uh, we're going to get started there. Uh, Thanks, Pastor Harrison, for having me. And uh, I kind of freaked Amy out. Because, uh, I don't know, if you don't know Amy, uh, who leads worship a lot here, is my sister. And uh, I came for your anniversary, but I seriously thought the service started at 10.30. So my wife and I walked in at 10.30, and you guys were half done. So I kept texting her last night. I'm like, so 10.30, right, to preach? And she was like, this morning, like, no, no, 10 a.m., 10 a.m. I'm like, okay, fine. If you want me to come early, I'll come early. And uh, what joy is there in life if you can't bug your siblings, you know? And uh, my wife never had brothers, so she doesn't get it either, and uh, so she always takes Amy's side. All right, Genesis chapter 3, we're going to start in chapter one of Genesis chapter three, but Genesis chapter one and chapter two really give the creation account, and God separates, you know, uh, the waters from the heavens, and he starts creating things, and he creates people at the end of uh, that whole story in the, the seven-day creation account, and we get to Genesis three, and uh, at the end of Genesis chapter two, it says God looked at all that he created, and it was good, and He he said it's not good for man to be alone, so he created a helper to rule with him to serve with him uh so he creates uh, a wife for adam and he says then it was good and and it wasn't good for very long because we hit genesis chapter three and now you have adam and eve living in the garden and it says this genesis three verse one starts like this says the serpent everyone say the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, did God really say to you, you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Now, I just want to stop right there. Uh, snakes are one thing. Snakes that actually walk and talk, different ball game. I don't know. Like there had to be something up that like this was perfect life that they thought this was okay. Did God really say you must not eat from the fruit of Any of the trees in the garden? Of course, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. So the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and she ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. Now, this is an amazing part of the story. Adam is standing there the whole time. Like sometimes we're like, oh man, Eve got deceived in the garden. No, Adam, open your mouth, man. Like he's standing there the whole time Watching this, and it says she gave some to her husband who was with her. He ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were open, and suddenly they felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man in the garden, Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I command you not to eat? And the man replied, This story just gets amazing. It was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. Like, okay, let's, little lesson in ownership, okay? <laughs> the woman you gave me, God, I blame you and I blame her. So then God asked the woman, what have you done? Well, the serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. And then God goes through this conversation with the serpent, and he goes through this... Uh, Realm of consequences because sin has consequences and it brings uh, a trajectory that we all experience in life now. And he kind of goes through those things. But verse 20, it says, Then the man Adam named his wife Eve because she would be the mother of all who live. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. And I want to bring us at the end of the message to a contrast between fig leaves and animal skins. And we get to this place in this story where we realize there's something very, very wrong in our humanity outside of the perfect relationship we have with Jesus. Heavenly Father, why don't we uh, just calm our hearts right now? Would you come and would you speak to us and would you show us by your word the very things and the very nature of your heart to bring us close to you that we might become more and more like you in Jesus' name? And everybody said... Amen. Now, I'm all about, um, you know... Uh, good sermon illustrations and visual representations and a few weeks back uh, we had a three by three where we had some of our uh, up-and-coming preachers and different speakers in the house uh, share for 10 minutes each and one guy builds this lily he was preaching on like you know look how beautiful the lilies of the field are and and you know they don't worry and don't be anxious and he has this like nine foot lily he put on the stage and I said this to our church when I talked about this and I said he like I just didn't feel today that me wearing fig Leaves would be a very appropriate <laughs> sermon illustration or very flattering. So uh, you just have to take it for what it is and and look at the imagery we find in the scripture here. But in this story, we come to a place where. Uh, Life was perfect, life was good, but uh, sin happened, deception happened, uh, choices were made and things start to unravel a little bit. But I, I want us to understand that the question that God asked the man and the woman when he came to commune with them like he did daily, morning and evening, his first question to them was, where are you? And I'd like to pose that question to us today because sometimes in our lives, we get so busy, we get so caught up in the things that we're doing, we get so covered, whether it's a sin issue, whether it's a time issue, whether it's a heart issue, whether we just got off track, and we find ourselves in these moments, and I actually feel we find ourselves in these places where God has to come back to us, and he says, where are you? Genesis 3 verse 9. You see, often I feel like we find ourselves hiding from the presence of God. Because of our fear, our insecurity, because of things we've done, because of things maybe we haven't done, the things we feel like we should be better at, maybe because we have trust issues, maybe because, you know, we can build list upon list upon list, and when it comes to experiencing and encountering Jesus in a regular way, there's actually this trepidation and this fear that begins to creep in, because we know that there's been distance there that maybe uh sumptuously it's happened or unassumingly it's happened. But a lot of times we feel like we're the ones that want to keep our distance because we know some things aren't right. And, and, and my big question, when God comes to us and asks, where are you? Why are we so afraid to go talk with him? You see, God, when he asks this question and something we need to look at if we actually go down a deep dive theological lesson. When I originally wrote this message, I thought, I'm going to share for 15 minutes, great little concept. And this actually took me into this huge realm of study. But when God comes to the man and the woman in the garden and he says, where are you? Let's remember, he's God. He's omnipresent. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He doesn't need to ask us questions because he doesn't know the answer. He asks us questions because he knows we need to answer those questions for ourselves. So when he says to them, Where are you? I want you to get the imagery here. This is not an angry judge that is asking, why are you running? Why are you hiding? Where have you gone? Because I know what you've done and I know that you're wrong and I'm looking for an opportunity to punish you. He actually is asking with the heartbreak of a father that says, I wanna know where you are because until you get close to me, we can't fix this. Until you come close, I can't help you in your lostness and in your running. And and so today, what I want you to know is a few things. I I think often we get so um, disgruntled by life, we get discouraged, we get frustrated, we do things out of stress and pressure, and sometimes we don't even mean to, and then we find ourselves in a place and we're like, God, how did I get here? How did I get so far from what was good and what was beautiful and what was what you wanted for my life? But nonetheless, this is where I am. And it usually comes because he's stirring that question in your heart. Where are you? And we've taken it upon ourselves to say, if we run back to Jesus quickly, we're actually going to be met with judgment. We're going to be met with um, anger. We're going to be met with frustration. But really, what he's saying is, I I really just want to give you an invitation to come close again. We'll deal with all of those things, but what I want you to know today is uh, we probably spend more energy on hiding than we should. Genesis 3:10 says this: when God asked Adam the question, "Where are you?" He replied, "I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. I was afraid because I was naked." You know, our hiding, our running, our, our keeping distance from dealing with the things we need to deal with with God really takes more effort than it would be to just come to Jesus, people. We 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 try to we try to make ourselves look okay, we try to fix our attitude, we try to be more positive, we try to buy nice clothes, get a new haircut, you know. Get a new tattoo, something like that. Like, just like, everything's great, it's good, it's all these things, and we're like, oh, we're loving life, we're enjoying it. And deep down on the inside, we know there's an area or areas where we're trying to keep distance from God because if we got to a quiet place, And we actually started having those conversations. We know there's some things in our heart we haven't dealt with and we're scared to deal with. And when we feel like we're naked and that by coming close we'll be exposed, that's when we run, that's when we hide. But I'm telling you today, we often spend way more time and effort to run and hide than actually we should. You see, it says that they made garments of fig leaves to cover themselves. The minute they knew that they were exposed, they tried to cover. They tried to do something to cover, to hide, to make it look okay, but still it didn't appease and it didn't fix the brokenness that had gotten on the inside and the things that they knew God could see right through. And so when we run and we hide, I think sometimes we're putting way too much effort in it. But let me contrast that with something else. That doesn't mean that our sin is just okay. Now there's this kind of theological paradox in here where God is giving this invitation to come close again, but he doesn't say, I'm not gonna deal with your sin. He doesn't say that it's all okay. There were consequences that came out. There were things, but like a loving father, he says, we can walk through this together. We can fix this, And, and what happens in our lives is sometimes we aren't even bothered by our sin anymore, and so we actually stop hearing that voice. We stop hearing that calling of where are you, and there's this old ancient story Where uh, it talks about our conscience being like an arrowhead in the center of our chest. Because people are born with a matter of conscience. God didn't need to come back to the garden and tell Adam and Eve that you've sinned, you've done wrong. Their conscience was activated. They knew good and evil. Every person knows this. And when you do something that is wrong or not quite right, that arrowhead starts to turn and those points start to prick at your heart. But guess what? You ignore it long enough. It will start to round off and become dull. And then you just go on and it's not even an issue anymore. So what we're learning here is maybe we're running too much and hiding too much, but maybe that pricking of our heart and that feeling of something's not right isn't a bad thing either. Because it reminds us that we need to quit running and we need to get close to Jesus. Because when I read the Bible, when I go through the New Testament, isn't it interesting that uh, Jesus is actually trying to keep us from being lost? If you go to the Gospel of Luke, if you go to Luke 19, verse 10, it says this, For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. He goes after the one and leaves the 99 because his heart and his desire is to bring us back to where we need to be and to keep us from wandering and to keep us from being lost. And I just find it amazing. Like Adam, when God calls, where are you? It says he made fig leaves for himself and he hid among the trees. Like God didn't know where they were in the garden. Like God couldn't see right through that whole thing. But guess what we do? We hide amongst our entertainment. We hide amongst our friendships. We hide amongst all the busyness of life and the things that we do. And we try to ignore the the question because we're trying to ignore the issues. But Jesus, in a gentle, loving way, he comes to us and he says, where are you? So I want you to know maybe we're spending way too much time running and hiding when we should simply answer the call and the invitation to come close to Jesus. Another thing I want you to know this morning is maybe what we've been told or what we've been telling ourselves actually isn't true. Have you ever thought about that? Maybe we've been telling ourselves a lie. Maybe somebody else has been telling us something that's going to fulfill us. It's going to sustain us. It's going to be the best thing for us. Maybe we keep telling ourselves that if I just get better at this or do this, these feelings will go away. This issue will go away. And maybe the things we've been telling ourselves or the things that we've been told aren't exactly true. Genesis 3, 1-6 says, uh, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wide, wild animals, and he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any, everyone say any, any. of the trees in the garden? See, he, he takes part of what God said was true, and he makes it a half-truth. And he was like, well, of course we may eat from the fruit and the trees. She said, it's only the fruit from this one tree, the, the middle tree in the garden that we're not to eat, because we'll, we'll die. Well, and then the, the serpent says, well, you won't die. Now, here's the interesting thing. Was he right? Yes, they didn't die immediately. It wasn't poisonous. It didn't kill them there. But their sin ultimately led to death for all humanity. Again, so he, he's manipulating truth to cause them to believe something other than what God has told them. He says, you won't die, the serpent replied. God knows your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. You know, and Warren Wiersbe said this. He says, humans are constructed that they must believe something. So we will either believe the truth or we will make up or believe a version of the truth that we choose to take in because we are constructed and made in a way that we have to live with some sort of belief. And this is what Romans talks about. This is what the Bible keeps talking about where people exchange the truth of God for a lie and so they live unto themselves and they live in all sorts of deceitful things that are actually killing them, that are actually destroying them. And the question that God asks after uh, to Adam and Eve that he's asked after, where are you? He says, well, who told you you were naked? Who told you this had to be a problem? Who told you that, that you, know, you needed to distance yourself from me? and sometimes i think in our lives we've told ourselves a lot of things that god couldn't love me because of this god wouldn't call me close he'll call other people close but but we keep telling ourselves that that you know i'm too dirty i'm too naked i'm too exposed i can't come back and be close to jesus again maybe you've had people tell you that you won't amount to this you won't become anything great and you think well then why even try i might as well keep covering i might as well keep doing the things that i'm doing But Jesus is saying, where are you? But he's also saying, well, who told you that? Because he's kind of trying to bring us back to this place where he said, I'd really rather you believe what I say about you than what anyone else says about you or even about what you say about yourself. And in our humanness, we just struggle because we're so caught. Excuse me. We're so caught in, in the lies, and we have to believe something, and it's so interesting to me that it's so much easier to believe a lie about ourselves or believe people think something about us when they haven't even said it, and it's not even true. I mean, as soon as you start having kids, and there's a lot of young people here today, you'll, you'll begin to see character traits in your children that you have or your spouse has and you'll see the good ones and then you'll see the bad ones and then you start seeing ones that you start to realize that in your 30s you had to start working through some things that really were lies about yourself about shame about guilt about what people think about you and then you start looking at your 10 and your 12 year old in the eyes and they start making comments and you're like oh my gosh that's who I am And you're like, man, I need to start speaking truth rather than the lies they're even telling themselves because I don't need them to carry that as long as I had to carry it before I chose to believe God over even what I believed saying about myself. And so maybe we spend way too much time running and hiding than we need to. Uh, Maybe we've been told something that isn't true or we keep telling ourselves something that isn't actually true. But I also want us to know that in our humanity and our humanness, blame doesn't always break that easily. The tendency to blame, even when we choose to come close to Jesus doesn't just fall off because our brokenness our humanness that's where we go in our human nature and as soon as they did come close to Jesus as soon as they did come close to the father he says where are you he says who told you that he starts having a conversation and then and then and then the blame game starts god that woman you gave me it's like it's kind of weird it's like almost like God, I'm blaming you and I'm blaming her. So it's like, if you would have done better and gave me a better partner, I would have been able to make a better decision. And it's kind of like, I look at that, I'm like, man up, grow up, be a man, make your own decisions. You need to have good character and integrity for yourself. This is not about someone else. You made a choice too. And Eve watches him argue with God and then God asks her, well, what have you done? The serpent, God. Not me, the serpent. And, and, and our humanness really hates ownership. It really, it, it really loves the blame game and it hates taking ownership and saying, God, I'm sorry. I made a mistake. I need you. I don't know how to fix this. I don't know how to move forward in this. And then God goes to the serpent, so he deals with the serpent. And in all our lives, and as we walk through things. We find that there's this struggle for us to keep close to our encounter with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit, because conviction, because the lies we've believed about ourselves, because the shame and the exposedness that we feel at some of our decisions in life, one of our first tendencies is to run and hide or to cover or to blame. And what God's really saying, if you would come to me, I could help you with all of those areas. I could help you walk through the decisions, the consequences. I can show you what it means to repent, to turn, to walk a different way, to to let me be your covering, to let me lead you the way I want to lead you. Because uh, let me tell you this, we come to Jesus and thank God that we're saved, but we're also still being saved. Like that salvation prayer, I wish it took away every ounce and urge and inkling and desire to sin, but it doesn't. And so this being close to Jesus all the days of our life is so important. And we got to be careful that we don't get too busy. We don't get so caught up in all of the stuff, in all of our things, in all of the lies that we forget to come close. That he has to come looking for us and ask, where are you? You're getting off target. You're getting off path. But I'm so glad that he does come and tell us. Because this is what the Bible says about the serpent, Second Thessalonians 2 verse 10, it says he will use every kind of evil deception to fool those on their way to destruction because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. And I think this morning what I'm here to do is to tell you that there is only one truth that can save you. And that's our need for Jesus. There's only one truth in all of our mess, in all of our sin, in all of our shame, in all of our brokenness, even in all of our success, because sometimes our success is the very thing that pulls us away from Jesus. It's the very thing that distracts us enough to forget that we need to hear his voice, we need to walk with him, we need to be close with him. And the truth is that we need Jesus. And today what I want to land on is two things. I really believe that when we come to Jesus, when we find ourselves in this place that we feel distant, we feel far, we feel broken And he's calling to us and he's saying, where are you? We can wrestle for a long time with that obedience to come close and to hear what he wants to say because we've had bad experiences maybe with a friend, a coworker, a loved one, someone who anytime they call you to have a conversation, it's always negative, it's always bad. You ever had that? When your phone rings and it's a person that always wants to spend time with you, encourage you, you know, uh, just go for coffee, just hang out. You pick that up every time. When it's that person that every time that phone rings and we have to get together, like, man, this is bad. What did I do now? What are they upset about now? And we got to be careful how we see God in this story because he's calling because he will correct, he will bring those things to to the right place, but the reality is, is more often than not, he just wants to be close to you, and so when we're constantly in that relationship with him, when God puts his finger on something, says, hey, why don't we work on this area, it comes out of a place of friendship, out of love, out of concern, not out of, you only show up when I've done something wrong, and you're gonna judge me, and you're gonna, for lack of a better terms, give me some uh, spiritual proverbial discipline. But that doesn't mean it doesn't happen. It just happens in a different way. It happens out of real relationship. You know, the Bible talks about in the New Testament. is that God does. He disciplines those that he loves. Why? Because he cares about our trajectory. He cares about our future. He cares about the lies we're believing. He cares about the things that we're doing that are actually destroying us. But he calls us close constantly so it's not always discipline. His desire was to walk in the garden morning and evening. And he showed up at the very next point, not, well, I'm going to, Adam, we're just going to take a break tonight. And I'm going to, I'm going to decide what your punishment is. And then next time we'll talk. No, he just God kept in the rhythm. I I walk with you. I'm committed to walking with you. I'm going to keep walking with you. And so what I believe that we need to understand and we need to get deep in our hearts as God's people when he's asking, where are you? We need to learn to do thing, two things. We need to, number one, learn to live with or live under the promise of God. Out of uh, Genesis chapter three, verse 20, is actually a pretty profound scripture. But if you just breeze right through it, it seems like nothing. It starts like this. It says, Then the man Adam named his wife Eve. He hadn't named her yet. Kind of weird naming your spouse, but... <laughs> it says, Then the man Adam named his wife Eve. And what Eve means... It comes from this Hebrew word, shava or the hava, which means to live or to breathe or literally living life is what her name means. Adam, that's a weird name to give your wife. Because if we go back through the verses we didn't read about the consequences that came because of sin, like... She literally just brought death to every single person for all humanity outside of God coming and redeeming the planet. And you name her life, you name her breath. And I want to tell you why. Because when God goes to the serpent in the story, he says, because you've done this, you will crawl close to the earth. There's all these things. So that's why, you know, whatever, snakes don't have legs anymore. Maybe the devil was a Komodo dragon. I don't know. We'll ask him in heaven. Not the devil. We'll ask God in heaven. Let's be very clear. That would be some very bad theology. Um, And he says to the serpent, he says, because you have done this, you will bruise her heel, but she's going to crush your head. Now think about this. We live a bruised, broken, fragile, frail humanity. But God gave the very first messianic prophecy talking about Jesus, that the seed of the woman would crush the devil's head in that moment in the garden. And it's because then we can choose to live and believe understanding that though sometimes we're bruised, we're broken, we're frail, we can live because of the promise of God. And so Adam names his wife Eve, which means breath. Some scholars say, well, it's just because she'd be the mother of all living things. No, I actually believe that when you lean into it, He was saying, Eve, we can still live and we can have life because from this day forward, we're going to choose to believe the promise of God over the lies of the enemy. And the promise of God says, though that we're bruised, though we're broken, though things don't always work out the way that we want to, God has sent someone and something through your seed that is going to give victory and it's going to happen. And sometimes we got to learn to live with a promise of God more than the, the, the vision of our circumstances. Because when we only look at the bruisedness, the brokenness, the things that separate us from God, God, how can I get close to you? I don't feel like being close to you. I don't know why this happened in my life. I don't know how it's gonna get better. But what we can do is we can look at that and we can say, but God, you've made a promise that our bruising would not go unvindicated, that you would send someone that crushes the serpent head That you would bring us to a place with you of total victory. So Jesus, when you ask, where are you in the midst of my struggle, in the midst of my pain, I'm going to come close to you. Because I need to believe the promise of God more than the lies I tell myself, than the things the world tells me and what my situation says is grim. And we need to learn to live because of the promise of God. This first one, it was symbolic that they believed God at his promise. So what about us? Maybe you're far off. Maybe you're distant. Maybe you feel broken. Maybe you feel lost. Are you going to continue living, believing the lies that you tell yourself, believing it'll get better by some miracle happenstance without anything? Or are you going to come back to Jesus and say, God, I need to realign my heart, my life, my thinking, my voice, the things I say about myself with your promises. And that's what I'm going to hold on to. But the second thing was this it's one thing to learn to live with the promise of God but often when you're holding on to promises and life keeps happening disappointment still keeps coming Right? Like the, the scriptures say in the New Testament, it says this hope does not disappoint, meaning future tense. It will not. It will be finished the way God says it's finished. But, you know, Proverbs also says hope deferred makes the heart sick. When you're holding on to a hope and again and again and again and it's not happening and you're not seeing it, you're knowing what to do it, you need something else. You keep holding on to that promise, but I believe we need to learn how to live undercover. Because this is the message of the fig leaves and the animal skins. You see in in Genesis they went and they gathered and they got fig leaves and they got whatever they could to try and cover their nakedness, to cover their shame, to cover the thing that was separating them from God. And yet when God comes and he asks, "Where are you?" he could still see right through this. And and we know that this didn't work because of this. When God says to Adam, where are you? He says, I hid because I was afraid because I was naked. But Adam, I thought you covered yourself with fig leaves. Isn't that weird? It says they had already made fig leaves to cover themselves. They hid among the trees. But when God calls, they still felt naked. And it tells us that all of our stuff, All of our money, all of our relationships, all of our entertainment, all of our busyness, all of our success, all of the things that we try to do to mask and cover and self-medicate will never leave us not feeling naked or exposed. It simply covers and dulls and brings us to a different place, but it doesn't truly cover us. It doesn't show us how to walk in grace and life and peace and confidence. So even though they had made coverings for themselves, they knew it wasn't enough. And I think sometimes we need to realize that nothing we do will ever be enough to cover ourselves, and we need Jesus. And so God made them, the Bible says in some translations, coats of skin. Second biggest symbolic picture in this chapter in scripture first you get the messianic prophecy that jesus the seed of the woman is coming he is going to crush the serpent's head but guess what it's indicated here that god would have to shed the blood of an animal for the very first time in a perfect world to provide a covering for those that he loved We can never cover on our own. All our attempts will leave us feeling naked, but blood was shed to provide a covering. In verse 21, it says, the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. The Hebrew word is mentioned here. The blood was shed, kapher, atonement. It means to cover. It means to envelop. It means to hide. It means to blot out and to provide atonement. It's the same word they use later when they would sacrifice the lambs and they would sprinkle the blood on the altar to create atonement for the people's sins it's where they get the scripture that though your sins be as crimson i will make them white as snow there's this a uh, covering there's a, a a completeness that happens with the shedding of blood and hebrews 9 22 says this according to the law almost all things are purified with blood and without the shedding of blood there is no remission guys we have this really crazy thing in what we believe in our faith in our Christianity our religion like there are not a lot of religions to talk about like blood you know like it's it's this idea though that the penalty had to be paid sin required death it required the shedding of blood and so God showed in the garden that he would shed the blood of an animal to cover Adam and Eve. It was a picture that he would send his son. He already had the plan in motion. He already had the prophecy to the serpent that the seed would crush his head. And it was a picture that there is a lamb coming. There is someone coming that will shed his blood. It will cover and it will be perfect. Jesus shed his blood as the perfect covering, the perfect atonement for us to continue to walk close with God. And if you find yourself in that place, distant, lost, wandering, broken, hurting, I want you to understand something, that Jesus and Jesus alone is the only person, he is the only place that you can come for full covering, for full protection, for peace, for grace, for strengthening to bring you back to the place that you need to be. So when God asks, where are you? He's not looking to be angry. He's not looking to be mad, but he's trying to remind us of something. He says, you've gotten so far, so deep into your own stuff. You've forgotten what I've done. And when we remember who Jesus is, what he did for us, that we are covered by his blood, that there was a covering. It's not a fig leaf. It's not something that's going to crack, dry out, break, and and do part of the job. It is something that is a full work for us. We begin to see things differently. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so we could be made right with God through Christ Isaiah sixty-one ten says this I will greatly rejoice in the Lord and my soul shall be joyful in my God why for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation and he has covered me with the robe of his righteousness You are clothed with a garment of salvation because of Jesus' death on the cross. You can walk with a robe of righteousness because your right standing comes because of Jesus, not because you're perfect. And so when God says, where are you? Just run back to him. Just get close. Just get back to the place where you know, I can live by the promise of God. I make mistakes, but I can turn. I can come back to the promises of God. I can come back to the covering that leads me forward. Because this is what Jesus wants to do. Why don't we stand this morning? I just want to pray. I just want to pray for some individuals. And then I turn it over to Pastor Harrison. But I think like all throughout this morning, even this idea and this picture and this theme of where are you what's going on like why why so far why so i i just feel like it's like for some of you why are you working so hard at keeping that distance between you and jesus he loves you he has your best in mind he he laid down his life for you and he's simply trying to call you close Because he knows what you need more than you know what you need. He knows what I need more than I know what I need. So with everyone's eyes closed, if you're here today, and you would be brave enough and honest enough to say, I think I've been hiding in the trees. I think I've been hiding in my work. I think I've been hiding in my busyness. I think I've been hiding under a whole lot of things that make it seem like I'm okay. But I know that I've not been, and I realize God's calling me and I want to get back to that place of being close with him. Can you just slip up your hand because I really just want to pray for you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Don't believe the lies you've told yourself. Don't believe the lies that the enemy has told you that other people have told you. We're gonna come back to the truth of who God is, how he says we can live, of how he leads us to walk. So Heavenly Father, I pray for every individual right now that is so honestly acknowledged that, God, this isn't me calling them, this was you calling them and saying, where are you, what's going on? I want to walk with you. I haven't stopped wanting to walk with you. God, I pray that they would hear those words come through, not all of the other voices and all of the other lies that have hindered them from coming close. And so, God, I just pray in this moment of surrender, will you meet them? Will you come to a place where they realize that you still have promise and purpose for their life? You have a covering for whatever it is, and you want to lead them like a father calls his child close, and when he's saying, this isn't about, oh, you messed up you made a mistake we're you got to fix this no no it's come close to me so we can fix this together and so you can know the grace and the strength that i have that you don't have on your own so i pray for these individuals right now jesus as the holy spirit speaks in this next couple moments that there would be such a grace such a peace such an acknowledgement of god i need you more than i need anything else that i've been chasing so when you say, where are you, God, I'm going to say, here I am. I'm coming close because I need you to cover me. I need you to lead me in Jesus' name. Hey, thank you so much for taking the time to listen. We hope that message encouraged and inspires you. If you want more information, if you made a decision to follow Jesus, head over to kingdomchurch.ca. We'd love to connect with you. Until next time, take care.